Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. I want to thank you so much for spending the next slot of time. And I will try to make that a shorter one than normal. Okay, so I uh, I know that time is critical. Time is a precious, precious commodity, and I do not want to waste it. So, God willing, I will not go too long today. But hopefully, God willing, everything is going well with you. I'm actually pulling this show ahead a little bit quicker than normal because I am still in my uh, uh, lazy person stage from my cataract surgery. So we're not supposed to do anything. They say, well, don't lift more than 10 pounds. I mean, so I said to the doctor, my one cat, Ginger, is about 15 pounds. So he said, no, you could, li- you could lift her. But it's very hard on the farm and uh, living out in the country and not lifting more than 10 or 12 pounds. So I said to myself, well, let me take this time and pull next week's show, which is obviously, I think it's the ninth the show will drop. I'm doing it a couple of days earlier than normal, and I'm supposed to go back to the doctor that day and get, uh, may God willing, a, uh, a clearance. But, uh, you know, it's uh, whatever. So, so that is basically it. And uh, I want to thank you all for uh, for clicking in and bearing with me through my lengthy, lengthy shows. I've got a couple of different things I want to go over here, if you don't mind. Well, first of all, I want to give a big old Cat Swamp Road shout out to Mr. Mark Van Curen. If I'm pronouncing it correct, sir, Curren or Curen? Van I would say it's probably Curran, Curran. Well, whatever. Well, you know who you are from Rochester Hills, Michigan. And he listens both on Rural Radio and on the podcast. And I greatly, greatly appreciate that. So I, he reached out and told me that. And, uh, and he really enjoys Rural Radio. So that is fantastic. And Mark, I sent, I cut and paste your note of how much you enjoy Rural Radio and how you think that everyone in the urban area should be forced to listen to it. And I did not include your address or name or anything, so don't worry about your email address. Not that he would bother you, but I sent it over to Patrick Gotch, who owns Rural Radio, owns RFD-TV, owns the Cowboy Channel, and I think the Cowgirl Channel now. So uh, Patrick is a real good guy, and uh, he was a, his family farms, and he was a farmer out in Nebraska, and he actually... Uh, owns the past few years he owns uh that that ranch that don don imus had in uh, new mexico he had a pretty big ranch and he was doing work with children there i think it was like the make a wish foundation or something don't hold me to it uh but it was something i guess right church wrong pew and uh patrick is a really really great guy uh and he's He's wonderful. Um, what I'm saying, wonderful. He 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 gives people a chance, and that's oftentimes all you want in life is for someone to give you an opportunity. And uh, and let me let me put this way: he put me on the radio, so I mean, I guess he gives anybody a chance digging digging into the bottom of the barrel there. And uh, let me see what else I wanted to tell you about that. I give him a shout out, and then I have. Uh, a little bit, I always say every week, a little bit different show, because it is a little bit different show every week, right? And uh, I'm uh, going to have two letters that I'm going to answer today. And one came to me through uh, the me- uh, website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and that person also is a listener to the podcast and the radio show on Sirius, but he asked for his name to not be used, so I will honor that. So when I printed out his email with his questions about turbochargers, and I will read those, read that to you and answer it to the best of my ability. I'm not saying it's the best. It's the best to my ability. It's all I could do. And then I have another letter that came to me. And this gentleman came through my column in Hemmings Muscle Machines, my Ask Ray column. And uh, I figured it would be a good, uh, a good letter for the audience to hear and then i could say that this gentleman that just go to my podcast and you could hear my response instead of writing it you could certainly talk a, a better response than you could write it especially in hemming's muscle machines because they are cutting back their page count and um, and like most magazines and so the thing is that i don't have that much what we would call in the business real estate to answer a question i have to get right to the point 
And if the person gives me a lengthy letter, then I have to edit that out so that I could have some better time for answering. So if you do read me in Hemings Muscle Machines and you say, well, why is that question so short and your answer so long? Well, that is why, because I have to take a lot of the elements out of it and just try to retain the bullet points. So that is that. But I have another, uh, <clears throat> let, me, let me put it this way, <clears throat> excuse me. I have a uh, a Wiley X uh, sunglasses. Well, they're actually not so. They're actually tinted uh, safety glasses, but they uh, they don't look like that. They don't look like safety glasses. They you use them riding the motorcycle or jet ski. Both. So my wife says they look cool, but I don't know how to look cool. But they she says they look cool, so my wife likes them. So that's ninety nine percent of the battle. But anyway. And I won't go long with this story, but for full disclosure, right? I have to uh, tell you that uh, I'm not. I I'm really enjoying those glasses. I like them very, very much. And uh, just to recap quickly, I the uh, gentleman in town, and he's a hundred percent innocent because he did not say anything to me, or did he imply anything like that? So he showed me these glasses. I I actually i didn't even pay for them yet by the time i'll hopefully have paid for them by the time you uh you uh listen to this because i tried to call him and pay him today his wife said he's at the county fair pull he, he pull he has antique he gets involved with antique tractor pulls so he's pulling at the county fair he says oh he's at he's dug is at the fair so don't worry about it come next time you're next week or something so uh but anyway so to recap succinctly, as succinctly as I know how to do, is that uh, he showed me these glasses. He told me, take them home, try them, take them back to the farm. Loved them, fantastic. Uh, they have a slightly tinted lens in it, like a Polaroid type of lens. They call them Captivate. And he says, you may like it. If not, we could get clear lenses. So I said, no, I'm going to keep them the way they are. So that was why I called today and spoke to his wife, Susan. But anyway, wanted to pay him for it i hate owing people money i don't like loans i don't like anything if i have a car loan i hate it i want to pay it off right away it's like i don't want it so i'm old school i don't like owing anybody money so anyway so i said to his wife susan said i gotta come pay you so i said so what if he's tracked to pull him i said yeah i could pay you and she's i don't know wait for doug to come so uh I said, once if the good Lord takes me home, I don't want to stand before the Savior and, and know that I owe you money for eyeglasses. So she laughed. But anyway, so he told me about the glasses I bought him, all right? And then I, and I just assumed that they were made in China, like everything else, right? So uh, I, I mean, they're, they're definitely a quality piece, regardless of that. And then when I, can, and when, he, and when I came home and I did a little bit of research on them, I found out that they're made in USA, that the company is in Texas. They used to be in California. So that was really like the icing on the cake. And, uh, I'm, hey, you know, I'm a, I suffer from toxic masculinity, all right? So the thing basically is, is that it'd be like, like a young guy, not now. I mean, I'm a married, old married man, but a young guy, like you meet this girl and you say, oh my God, she's so beautiful. And, you, and then you find out that she could cook too. Oh my God, she's beautiful and she could cook, right? So when I came home and I did some research and I went to Wyatt, x's website i found out that they're made in usa well it they're made in you they, they have they have a factory let's put this they have a factory in usa and uh so to me i interpret that just like my belt tension the right exact fit that it should look the same so anyway so i was really i was really happy and i, I had a lot of you're gonna think i'm nuts if you don't already think it but i have a lot of pride in ownership of quality made products that are that are made in the usa to me there's a there's a pride of a, a lot of people don't don't suffer from that i'll say because it is definitely is you suffer from it it is an ailment but if i you know if i could buy something and say wow this is really a good piece i'm really proud of it and it's made in usa i'm really really proud of it they say oh, this is a really nice piece or it's a nice x whatever it may be and it's made someplace else well I mean, it's still nice but i don't have that same passion for it all right so so the things that so i look so i so i was so happy i told my wife oh man these glasses are made in usa i don't mind paying a lot of money for them or what have you so anyway fast forward so i'm sitting outside with the cats the other day because like i said it's a dead week for me i gotta do office work i'm sitting outside with the cats i got my my glasses unhappy as a lock right made in usa buh, 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 everything right and so 
I'm looking at him. And when I got him the other day, I looked at him, but my eye just came from the from the surgery. And my eye was was good, but not as good as it is now. So I'm saying to myself, I'm looking at looking for some place to be identified and made in USA. And I see something on the temple of the glass. This is the other day. Right after surgery. So that don't look like USA, but whatever, I couldn't see it. So I'm sitting outside with the cats in the behind the house and uh like it's it's nice and sunny out and my eyes are much better so i take my glasses off i'm looking at them i'm a you know i'm i'm, I'm proud of my american-made glasses and i look on the temple and it says taiwan all right so I said, all right well then again you know I, did i get fooled so i go back in the house and i email wiley x to their customer service <clears throat> and i have to say you know you have to give credit where credit is due in life I mean, they were excellent. They got right back to me. Usually, you do those inquiries, you never hear from anybody. It goes into la-la land, right? So anyway, so they got right back to me, and they said, oh, yes, the gravity series that you have is made in Taiwan. But these, they, they must have 20, 10 or 15 different models of eye, of of, uh, of safety wear, uh, safety eyewear, all different types for, for, for police, for military, for, for, for marksmen, everything. So so and then the lady got back to me uh very very nice says oh no these are says you're you're right that those are made in taiwan and then uh these here models are made in usa they're made in our factory in texas so, so, all right so so basically what i need to take back was i still like the glasses i still think they're they're great everything i said to you last week but the model that i have gravity is made in taiwan so i have to have to say i'm just uh i'm eating crow but my zeal but you know like i said doug never said they were made in usa i the, the website with and the website wiley x's website doesn't say that most are made in usa these models are made in USA. It kind of alludes to he alludes to whatever that they are made in the usa he says our factory in texas so everybody so who knows so that is that so now that's what i love about all you guys in my audience is that so i get a i i, I get a message actually a text message from a very very long time listener real good guy and uh and he does some business in a different capacity with the msc corporation and that's uh they're a big industrial supply company and i don't know what he, so anyway so so he heard the podcast and he sends me and rightfully so he sends me a picture and a link to these glasses from msc i think 3m makes them and so let's say my let's say my wiley x come down to 150 dollars. i don't know what they are yet so let's say they're 150 whatever so he sends me a link the msc industries and they have a three they have 96 pages of of protective glasses you go nuts in this msc catalog they got so much stuff so if you can't find what you want there forget about it right so so he sends me a link texts me a link with these glasses and they have the foam around them like i do but they don't but they're open frame whatever they look more like a safety glass mine doesn't look like safety glasses which is fine like i said i'm already married i'm not looking for a date but anyway and they're 15 dollars. so let's have an addendment let's have a revision to what i said last last week i love my wiley x's all right if you if you look at them and uh and you choose to use them and the wiley x also comes with a cord that you could put a, a lanyard that you could tighten it around your head so if you're like snowmobiling or or motorcycling or doing other things that they that they stay on your head or if you want to take them so whatever i mean so but if you're just looking for a protective pair of glasses that have the same foam that so impressed me because i was naive all right uh i never seen anything like that then you could go jump over to the msc website and you could look at that and they have 96 pages i believe of glasses and the ones that he sent me were 15 dollars. so let's say i pay 150 for these all right so i could have bought 10 10 pairs of the other glasses granted those look more like safe they look like safety glasses these don't but what are you gonna do so uh just for full disclosure so i guess you know when we were in school i don't know if they teach it which is a caveat emptor right buyer beware i guess in my zeal for trying to support my beloved america i get uh so excited and i end up uh i'm not gonna say getting snookered but getting uh maybe just 
whatever not doing as much due diligence but but in but in reality i paid a lot of money for these glasses they're excellent glasses <clears throat> they're much better glasses stronger they could probably take a head on nuclear attack than what i need but i really wanted something that day with the foam so i could be outside and do go on the farm and check my crops and they did serve the purpose so that is but check out that msc catalog under safety glasses and you will not be sorry all right so now let's get into this so we don't have a uh have a uh a two-hour show here all right so what i'm going to do is that i'm going to go over the turbocharger letter first and let me just make sure i i knocked i blocked out everything i was supposed to block out for the person's anonymity all right so uh, and this came through to farm machinery digest so so he writes he i, I took out his introduction this is just a quick just a quick maybe question about my turbocharger I have a 110 horsepower Valtra, which is owned by Agacote. All right, I'm adding that. He puts in brackets. I have a 110 horsepower Valtra tractor with a Sisu engine. I almost lost it in an engine fire. I'm not sure how it happened since I vacuumed the intake after replacing the air filter, but the compressor vanes are almost totally gone. So that is on the turbocharger. All right. A new turbo is three weeks to three months away, and the local turbo shop doesn't rebuild these smaller ones. I mean, he's talking about the physical size of the turbocharger, and I'll elaborate on this. I have a wrecked tractor with the same turbo. The turbo isn't salvageable, but I might be able to take the compressor wheel off and exchange it. Is it, wor- is it even worth trying? Wouldn't it need to be balanced anyway? 14,000 hours on each of these three tractors and really no major repairs. So 14,000 hours, that sucker's got some some use on it. All right, maybe I could find new turbo parts. I haven't tried looking. It's a Borg Warner. The turbos are used in Massey and Challenger tractors. I'll attach a picture of the plate in case you want to see it. So thank you very much, sir. And uh, he also sent me a nice video of some... Uh, pulling some calves and so but i don't want to go there and uh because i'll get off on a tangent all right now first of all let's just talk about turbos in general is that turbochargers on diesel engines on gasoline engines with very very rare exception because you never say always right because you always and then somebody will come through and say oh no this one it's not that way but turbo when when a manufacturer a diesel engine manufacturer a gasoline engine manufacturer if it's a brand new vehicle a 2024 ford eco boost all right what they basically do for the most part and and specifically in an industrial commercial well, i'm saying industrial commercial agricultural application like this but in other applications also as i said automotive and I just want to reiterate, when I say automotive, I mean also pickup trucks and light-duty vehicles, not Class 7 or Class 8 vehicles. And so uh, they go shop. Well, they, they go out to the turbocharger manufacturers and they say, this is what I want as far as its attachment and, and uh, the, the way it operates. And I'll talk about that, the adiabatic efficiency and what have you. All right, so basically, in essence... That if you ever, the, the analogy that I like to make when I teach this about turbochargers is that let's say you have a, uh, a disc bind and a bearing goes bad in a disc bind, whether it's a roller bearing or a tapered roller or a ball bearing, or whatever. Excuse me. Every bearing has a number on it. And if you look at that number, then you could cross reference a number. So let's say that you have a, a Bauer. Bauer BCA bearing and it's number one two three ABC that number identifies the dimensions and of the bearing and whether it's a roller bearing whether it's a tapered roller ball bearing what have you and then if you go to a uh, a company that's uh, 
or I'll say a distributor or retail, and you give them that number, they could cross-reference. That's okay. That's that's, that's okay. That's the same bearing. He is a Toyo bearing. He is a he is a uh, uh, Timken bearing. He is a XYZ whatever. He is a Chinese bearing bearing. Right. So the thing is that so that and just like if you look at a a belt whether it's a serpentine belt on an engine or a v-belt or lots of times maybe even like on a combine which are quite large belts right the thing is that there's numbers on the belt and that belt that numbers on the belt are going to decipher and say well this belt is three quarters of an i'm making a thing three quarters of an inch wide it's it's seven ribs and it's uh 142 inches long all right so whatever so the thing is that when the belt is being made it does not know what it's actually going on and then what happens is that the industry and the same thing happens with bearings and that's why you could have a supplier of bearings because that bearing could be used in a printing press it could be used on a hay bind it could be used on a roller coaster whatever you know what i'm saying so the thing is that so you go and you they build equipment vehicles farm equipment around what is available now i'm not going to say that there's never a case that that there's that somebody comes and says well this is really the bearing we need and 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 you don't have anything like that we want you to custom make it but most times they use off-the-shelf parts all right i mean that's why if i did a show a while back about maybe a year or so ago about uh hybrid ceramic bearings that is companies that make very good hybrid ceramic bearings so it could have a steel it could be a hundred percent ceramic or it could have a steel steel cage and a steel roll uh roller and it has ceramic balls or ceramic rollers in it which has a lot less uh friction so if you had the bearing number you could shop the bearing and get the and get whatever bearing you want that's how you could go like into an auto parts store like specifically in napa which used to be uh, maybe uh an o'reilly's now i've never really been i've been in o'reilly's never bought anything there even though they did advertise on my my uh radio show they had a short uh, thing on that for a while they bought an ad package it wasn't just they came looking for me i'm not gonna mislead you but uh but we have no o'reilly's near me whatsoever uh so anyway so let's get back to the turbocharger so anyway what's happening is that when when a manufacturer is going to turbocharge an engine they go out to the different turbocharger manufacturers boardwalk or borg warner garrett uh i think there's a, a japanese iki some a whole bunch of different companies just like tire companies and they say this is what i need as far as the fitment is concerned so they say this is what i need and usually usually turbochargers are based upon identified as how many flange how many bolts are in the flange that attaches it to the exhaust then they say okay we have this much space we got this we need the oil feed to come from here and if you look at a turbocharger on any turbocharger that i've been exposed to both the compressor and the turbine side now the turbine side is the hot what people call the hot side the compressor side is the cold side that compresses the air that goes into the engine is that they have like a slip ring there and they have bolts and you could take that and you could rotate this all around so that is why and you don't have to take it apart you loosen up the bolts and you could twist around that's why they're so flexible as far as their fitment is concerned and then lots of times also they'll have because they're going to have an oil feed for the bearing some have a liquid cooled where they bring coolant from the radiator into it and that's usually just a hose with the clamps on it a flanged uh metal pipe with the uh i mean not, not flange flared metal pipe with with rubber hoses on the clamps and then they have a drain back so basically in essence if you want to do a little bit of digging sir you could probably find a turbocharger now now you said you have some others there all right the same one a turbocharger of a different brand or for something else that you could very easily make fit with a little bit of farmer ingenuity and that's what we do in drag racing all right so like when i used to build a lot of buick drag motors i mean none of those turbochargers were for supposedly for a buick maybe they belonged on a caterpillar a c16 all right sort of thing based and if you look at it look at any of these drag race guys like they have these no prep kings and uh and these other clips so many different classes these guys got these big honking turbochargers on it and they usually identify them by the by the millimeters of the of of the compressor wheel and uh and they do that and like i said none of them are made for that application but they're so flexible 
I mean flexible, convertible, I should say, that they could convert anything and twist wrenches like a tire. It's not a tire that's made for this. That tire, so a certain size tire could go on a Ford, it go on a Chevy, go on a Toyota, Hyundai, or whatever sort of thing, basically. So, so keep that in mind when you're looking at that. Now, the other thing, basically, to get back to this gentleman's letter, is that uh, <clears throat> he says that the, that the local turbo shop doesn't rebuild these smaller ones okay that's fine so that means they're probably doing things on bigger diesel engines but the fact of the matter is that there is no difference really in rebuilding them it's getting the parts to rebuild them and i guess the person in his local turbo shop doesn't want to say oh we do these big things off of of mining equipment big farm tractors not this little stuff because even a 110 horsepower tractor is a nice size tractor much more powerful than anything i would use but basically in essence it's certainly not the same as working on a 500 horsepower or 350 horsepower tractor or a big piece of mining equipment or off-road equipment but the fact of the matter is is that usually the people chase you because they don't want to bother to look for the parts right so so that so that is that so keep in mind because i had other over the past uh, especially during COVID, I uh, people come and say, well, I can't get a turbocharger for it. Well, the thing, they're generic. It's like saying, I can't get a tire. It's very possible that, that you can't get a tire a certain size because it's been discontinued. But keep in mind that as you, if you have a problem with a turbocharger and it's something that's hard to find, is that you could probably very easily adapt a something else to it with minimal issues, right? So, it's like doing plumbing work, all right? When you go to the plumbing supply house, the guy doesn't know what you're doing. He says, I'm doing a bathroom. He doesn't know it looks like you say, I need an elbow, I need this, I need that, all right? So now that's that. Now, the second thing I want to do is I want to answer, I want to uh, respond to his question. It says, uh, where is this? Uh, about the, well, he's saying, uh, does the, doesn't the turbocharger need to be balanced? And he's 100% correct. So let me see if I could see in his letter. Uh, oh, it says here that he has this wrecked, wrecked tractor and he could take the turbo off that, but he says wouldn't it need to be balanced? Well, the thing basically is is that the that it's usually balanced as a unit. They're not balanced as, so they're not balanced as sub-assemblies on a production level. Maybe on if you, you're doing a real exotic, I don't want to say exotic engine, all right, but usually it's going to be the, the compressor wheel, the turbine wheel, and the shaft balance as a unit, all right? So the thing is that to answer his question, isn't there's not a, a, a pure answer to it, or a single answer is that if you took this turbocharger and it was from the and and it was it was good and it uh, and it was balanced from the factory then it would still be balanced the fact of the matter is that over time just like a tire all right things go out of balance and and uh so the turbocharger can go out of balance. Now, if a turbocharger goes out of balance, they say, how can I go out of balance? Well, the fins could bend, some debris could get in there. You're gonna, you could have some flop, some wear in the bearings of the shaft, so now it's moving around a little bit. So there's a number of things, just like a tire, as it wears, it'll go out of balance. But historically, it's usually, if the, if, if the fins on the compressor wheel or the turbine wheel do not get damaged and the bearing is still within specifications then it will be balanced to the level that it was when it left the factory okay so and is all different levels of balance i'm not going to deny that so it will be commercially acceptable which is a word that i hate so the thing is that now let's say what happens he needs to get this tractor going and that's why i wanted to i thought this was an I know it was an excellent letter. Uh, he wants to get this tractor going. He says, "Ah, you know, I got this, and I got this. I got the compressor wheel off, and I put it on here. All right, and it's not really balanced at that moment. What's going to happen?" Well, the thing is that within engineering, you have what's called a, a discipline, a, an area of study, which I'm very interested in: NVH, noise, vibration, and harshness. 
But what will happen because the turbocharger spins so quickly, so many RPM, 150,000, 180,000 RPM, depending upon the velocity of the exhaust going past it, a lot of other things. So let's say 150,000 RPM. All right, some of them spin, don't spin that fast. Some, some of them spin faster, but quite a, I mean, a very high RPM. And the thing is that if the turbocharger is out of balance, then what will happen over time, all right, is that it's going to put that harmonic into the shaft. It's going to wear the bearing. It may eventually wear the shaft. I doubt very much if you're going to break the shaft unless it's so so worn. I mean, so so. I mean, the bearing is so worn that it's got a, that 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 it's really beaten up the shaft. But it's in essence what's going to happen. It's a longevity issue, and it's a performance issue because you have to recognize that the exhaust is spinning that turbo, like a water wheel, spinning that turbocharger, and the potential energy that's from the expansion of the exhaust gas. We say it's the velocity. Part of it is velocity. It's more expansion of the exhaust gas, all right? They call it isentropic expansion, all right, without thermal change, but the expansion of the exhaust gas coming out of the cylinder head is if some of that energy is used to move that turbocharger up and down or that that the turbine wheel on the shaft because the shaft is worn and some of that energy is used to shake up and down to shake instead of go smooth and nice arc of rotation then what will happen is twofold number one you will eventually beat that bearing up and if you beat that bearing up and beat that shaft up and it gets enough play in it then it's going to have the potential not in five minutes the potential for the for the the turbine wheel or the compressor wheel because if it tilts back and forth like a seesaw to hit the volute the volute is the snail-like housing that the that it spins in and that and that clearance in the volute is one of the things that is going to allow the turbocharger to move air or leave it at that and turbocharger to respond to the expansion of the exhaust gas so eventually when it gets that worn it's gonna it's like seeing a guy down the road with a tire that's bouncing up and down and it's hitting the inside of the fender is that going to happen in five minutes no all right so the thing is so that is one thing so two things you will suffer excessive wear which can lead to potential damage over time all right we got to be realistic here over time all right and the second thing is like if you don't brush your teeth one night you, you get you don't feel good so i'm not brushing my teeth which i never do but i always brush i'm like fanatic about brushing my teeth but but you're not going to wake up the next day your, your teeth are going to be rotted and you have cavities if you oh if you don't if you can make a habit of doing that then obviously you're going to have dental issues so over time you could wear that over time if the wear gets excessive all right the seal may push some oil past it the bearing is going to wear it may hit the volute we may get you may get push some oil through the turbocharger and the other aspects so those are all mechanical issues and the other aspect of it is that if you have a lot of movement in the shaft all right and a lot of imbalance i should say a lot of harmonics even if the bearing is still tight is that the spool time how the turbocharger responds to the expansion of the exhaust gases is going to increase and as lay people we call that turbo lag Tur so you're going to have a little bit more turbo lag all right because it's using that energy i mean just like we used to run a couple of times you ran the open road race out in nevada and if you look at if you any type of any type of uh, of of high speed if the road is uneven that's not to be in nevada and you're using that energy which is coming from the crankshaft right to drive those wheels and the road is uneven and the, and the tire is going up and down it's not losing contact with the pavement but it's some of that energy is being used to go up and down in the shock absorber in the spring is that that vehicle will never achieve the same top speed given all other all other conditions that are that that, that are equal because of that movement of the tire up and down so what you will do is you will find that you may have a little bit more lag time which is usually not going to be something that you're really going to uh be able to qualify on a farm tractor you may say oh i put it in here and it takes it takes two seconds longer for it to to pull it whatever to pull a, a chisel plow what i was used a chisel plow as an example even though most people know till now but anyway so that's that now let's go back to some basic 
turbocharger design all right the fact is that so you have the volute all right the two volutes which is the snails snail like housing the intake uh you have the the, the uh compressor wheel and the turbine wheel but there is a ton of science a ton of science in the design of what they call the wheels as this gentleman called the wheels inside the turbocharger so it's it's akin to like i'm not going to say aerodynamics but if you look at my 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 love my sr-71 blackbird spy plane right and look and you study about what they did on that right for aerodynamics excuse me then uh so the same thing so it's amazing what they what they had to do on that plane to get it to go so fast but the same things happens in a turbocharger and they call them trim they call they call them wheels inside they call them trim so you may have so and like i said in most applications let's say that you you have a production uh production engine it could be in a peterbilt it could be in a john deere tractor it could be in a in a pick uh whatever a duramax pickup truck or what have you is that the man the engine manufacturer work with the turbocharger manufacturer and they find this happy medium and the happy medium is for response and this and that and they say okay we want and and then again there's all different types of wheels all right different you look in a catalog of uh, of or talk to garrett air research right oh we have this kind of wheel that this kind of trim that kind of trim and what have you and it works in unison with the volute so the reason why i'm telling you that and then when you're building a race engine then you 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 actually just like on a race engine nothing is off the shelf is that you'll have guys that do these turbochargers on tractor pull tractors on drag race on cars all right and they machine they take a basic wheel or i like to that, not me the guy said i like to start with this wheel but then i found that i like to do this it's like porting a cylinder all right so the reason why i'm telling you that on a production oe level like this valter tractor so let's say if if you when you found a john a, a turbocharger off a john deere tractor or a ford tractor because i can make this work it may have the it may look the same on the outside it may uh bolt right on you don't have to rotate it what have you all right everything is in the same but you may say that the engine feels different it may feel better or it may feel worse and what the worst would be is that it would probably take longer to spool all right or spool quicker and that is because of the design the trim t-r-i-m of the two wheels inside the turbocharger are you still going to be able to use this tractor to, to uh, put to put the fungicide on wheat of course you can all right so <clears throat> the thing is that you have to look at and lots of times it's very educational for 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 those of us on this level and i've been i well i'm blessed and i'm not tooting my horns by god's grace because i was on the other side of the aisle i was working you know oe stuff i was working and building drag race engines and what have you and you know when you go when you start to get to that level just like a just like a high yield farmer you got to be concerned with a lot of things that the guy says i just put the seed in the ground i'm happy that it grows right All right so for instance like i was on the when i was at the pti farm over a couple of weeks ago out in illinois and i've heard this before but they're talking about having the seed be placed the same way in the furrow every corn seed so that it's pointing the same way in the furrow so that when it emerges the root doesn't have to go around and that's why basically i personally think and this is that this you know that your corn is supposed to come up within three hours one another i think is a bunch of hooey all right unless maybe in a, in a in a flower pot where you did everything the same but if you're dropping a seed and the point where the growing point is coming out of it's sideways it fell in the furrow it went down this way or went up and if the root has to grow around itself before it could or the plant has to go around the seed before it can emerge it's not going to come up within three hours of one another so that was started by someone about five or six years ago and uh and yes i mean you want even emergence but it's you you can't it's not a drag race motor we can go oh you're, you're two tenths off coming out of the ground all right so basically in essence let me put closure to this is that that i would just say to you do what you need to do to get this old valtra tractor running 
and service of you if you need to put the if it and i believe this gentleman was out west all right if you need to if you need to take the wheel off the other one spin it with your finger make sure it's not hitting anything all right <clears throat> and then do what you got to do worst case scenario all right don't go crazy worst case scenario is also look on the there's a lot of people that build rebuild turbochargers uh you may go to somebody who doesn't even have a balancer right so at that particular point you could do it yourself but in this particular instance i'm respectfully saying you're on the side of the road in a ditch metaphorically you need to get that tractor up and running if the turbocharger is out of balance for now it's out of balance all right if it's if you have to rotate the housing you rotate the housing you do what you got to do all right and get it going and then you could when when the when the uh somebody's meowing when the uh and they're not coming in it's a beautiful day uh and then when you are ready during the winter or whatever and you want to do it right to do it right but keep in mind there's nothing you're going to do there that's drastically wrong that's going to hurt anything and if it's going to if it's going to be that wrong you will know it by moving the shaft up and down and feeling now keep in mind that in most applications it's what's called a floating bearing so there will be if you when the turbocharger is off and you move the move the seesaw uh you uh seesaw the shaft from the uh to, to check for play between the compressor side and, and and the turbine side you're going to see a little bit of play but then cock it one way and turn it make sure it's not hitting cock and you know and you just just you'll be a hundred percent fine <coughs> excuse me do what you got to do to get that thing running and go from there i wouldn't wait three months for a turbocharger for that when you have one right there put the wheel on it see if it spins good and that's basically it i mean we got you know like my father used to say combat repairs right because he was a world war ii veteran i mean yeah you're going to do a different thing combat in the battlefield to get the tank going than you are going to do in the, the basin in georgia when you have all the time in the world so just do a combat repair but i wanted to share that with you because i felt it was it was important to understand those aspects of turbochargers, all right? So I'm going to get a little drink of juice here for a second. Okay, so now, hey, we're doing pretty good. 41 minutes, I'm way into content, not telling you my life stories. All right, so now this is the letter that came to Hemming's Muscle Machines to my Ask Ray column. But I feel it has intrinsic value for anybody else for everybody else all right so i will read it to you verbatim because this person does not care about their name uh but didn't give me their last name anyway so not that it makes a difference so uh, i'm only going to read his his uh his kind words because otherwise it leads into the other stuff so it says ray really enjoy reading your solutions that range from i should have thought of that thought about that too really I am lost as to where all the oil goes in my engine. It is a 2007 Cadillac CTS with the 3.6 liter engine. That's a V6 that people are not familiar with. That runs like new but drinks oil like there is no end. A couple of years ago, I noticed the need for extra oil between 4,000 mile oil changes. Excuse me. It was using a quart in approximately 1,300 miles. Since the last oil change at 103,720 miles, it, used, it has used a quart in just over 500 miles. There isn't any signs of leakage and produces zero smoke out the exhaust. Most of its drive time lately is at highway speeds. It is kept in a locked garage so I don't have someone playing a prank on me. Local shop guys think it is just getting burned off by the catalytic converter. But why such an increase in such a short period? What does your vast knowledge bring to you, uh, insightful one, as the reason for this excessive usage? Jim Owen, Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, talk about excessive usage, and I'm obviously going to answer, do my best to try to 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 steer jim o from nashville in the proper direction through a letter and through a podcast for his cadillac oil consumption now first of all 
you got to remember, and I I coined this phrase and whatever. I'm not taking any. I mean, it's a phrase that I. I'm, it sounds like I'm being pompous. I coined this phrase. I don't mean it that way. <clears throat> it's a phrase that I use that I haven't heard anybody else use. When it comes to anything mechanical, I don't care whether it's a combine or a Cadillac or a kitchen sink or a washing machine. There's mechanical hypochondriacs. I'm not saying that this person is a mechanical. No, there's mechanical hypochondriacs, and most of the mechanical hypochondriacs are the person that you would go to for some sort of advice. It's not the owner of the combine. It's not the owner of the vehicle. It's supposed to be the it's supposed to be the expert or quasi expert in the field that you're going to, right? So if you say to somebody to be ridiculous, so Let's say, so I got a really bad headache, right? And then you go to a doctor. Well, you could have a brain tumor. You could have cancer. It could be your heart. It could be your lungs. It could be this. It could be that. Maybe you got an aneurysm. Maybe you have a, and yes, all of that is possible, right? But to me, that's a medical hypochondriac. And usually, in that, it's not an a apples to apples because they usually those people go on the internet. And they, oh my God, I may have a, I may have, I got a terrible headache. I may have an aneurysm. Ah, and they start to scream. Right, I think I just got a headache. Okay, so the things that there are mechanical in the field, mechanics, service advisors, technicians, whatever you call them, that are mechanical hypochondriacs. They paint the worst case worst case picture immediately is there possibly the worst case picture of course all right every most people making medical sadly that go to a doctor not feeling well don't don't believe that they're going to get a cancer diagnosis and sadly a, a number of them do but so when it comes to mechanical hypochondriacs you really really have to sift through that and I am not a mechanical hypochondriac. I keep that in the back of my mind and say, well, that's a potential problem, but I like to pick the low-hanging fruit first, okay? So let's just say we got a headache and we'll take an aspirin. We're not going to go get a, get, a, get, a, get a CAT scan of my brain and do everything. All right, so, that's, so let's look at this. So now, if I were a mechanical hypochondriac, then I would say to Jim, all right well they're probably that the the cylinder walls are all glazed over the hone is shot uh uh and the, the boards are worn the piston rings are worn and uh he says so the oil control rings are worn the motor's shot all right or maybe it's you know it's got bad valve guides but yeah maybe it's got this maybe it's got that maybe it's got a bad oxygen sensor and it's really diluting the oil with gasoline and it's 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 going right past the rings and it's burning it and what have you so that's what a, a mechanical hypochondriac would state and maybe eventually they're right but excuse me but you can't go right to there so now when i read jim's jim's letter this is what what popped out to me and i'm just saying this to you as a suggestion so when you diagnose something and i don't care what it's a diagnosis of all right that you that you think talk it through and i've done a show on this early on in my idle chatter podcast it'll probably be coming up soon excuse me i'm sorry on a monday boy I really i gotta get more finesse for the show but uh about uh about about diagnosing and differential diagnosis all right so this is what popped out to my letter all right i do not know uh whether this gentleman bought this cadillac new or used so i don't know right can't get a hold of him no way of knowing so we have to keep that in the back of my back of our mind that we did he buy it new and says i've had this you know i do not know what kind of oil he's used on it all right, I do. It kind of gleans that he says 4,000 mile oil change, so that's a very good oil change interval. I would, I would, uh, I, I will say with reservation. So I do not know, and I do not know how long he's had it. So, so like I said, I don't know if he bought it new or not. So the thing basically is, is that. But I do know what I can uh, qualify here is that the car is a 2007. All right, so it's so three, ten, six, so it's sixteen years old, and it has a hundred three thousand seven hundred twenty miles on it. All right, so somebody may be saying the mechanical hypochondriac has got a hundred thousand miles. The cylinder walls are shot on ring, it's all glazed over. Right, all right. 
So the thing basically is, is that, but I like to apply the math. Now, I know he says that it's only used mostly for highway speeds now, but what happened to it the other 15 years? We don't know, okay? But if you apply the math, and let's say that, that it was very analog, it had the same level of use for, the, for its whole 16 years, the same type of driving, if you divide 103,720 by 16, it comes to approximately 6,000. 500 miles a year which is not a lot of use maybe early on in its life it had 15,000 miles a year so it's not a lot of use so using the 6,500 miles per year now a car is a little bit different than it than most of the time with farm equipment or farm tractors but not all the time so let's say if you have a smaller you have a guy with a you have a 10,000 acre farm but he's got a smaller tractor and he uses it for for chores around the farm set it probably has a million cold starts on it. It never gets too hot, never, all right, and never runs that long. Or let's say you have on your farm a, a ATV or a UTV, and it's got to start it, go over here, go to the barn, start it over here, go over here, all right, or you're using it to feed cattle or something, all right? So the thing is that you have to take that in, into play. And because this is a letter, I do not know these questions the answers to these questions but you have to keep into it but regardless this is not a lot of mileage for a 16 year old vehicle so he, so if he put 20,000 miles you would still only have 320,000 miles on it right so it's not a lot of mileage for a 16 year old vehicle so i have to assume at this particular point that this cadillac may have been used of to a high to a greater extent when it was newer and it's in semi-retirement now, but I would have to assume that that even if it was used to the tune of 30,000 or 40,000 miles a year for the first couple of years, that the past few years it has a lot of cold starts and a lot of short cycle trips on it, okay? And potentially a lot of idling. Right, so that all comes into play, right? Not being a mechanical hypochondriac, but that comes into play. So now... We also, and I may have said this before, that I do not know what type of oil he is using, right? So that's, I mean, I'm not a tribologist, but tribologist is a person who studies the function of lubricants. I don't have a degree in tribology, what have you. But he does say that there are no signs of leakage and there is, and it produces zero smoke out of the exhaust and the engine runs fine, okay? Well, then again, respectfully, Jim, it runs you say it runs fine so i'm taking that for face value uh, what runs fine to my wife and what runs fine to me i love my wife dearly but after her car got hit they escaped and she drove i says the steering wheel straight oh yeah everything is fine the steering wheel's like at 45 degree angle i mean so whatever so, yeah, so i said the steering wheel's not straight on it's like this oh well i could make the car go straight so whatever so um <clears throat> I'm giving. I'm going to say that Jim is not in that category. No disrespect, Jim, when you're listening, but I need to diagnose this. But now he says the local shop guy thinks it's just getting burned off by the catalytic converter. But why such an increase in such a short period of time? Well, first of all, the catalytic converter only burns oil that's sent to it. All right, so it's not like so. I don't know whether Jim worded this incorrectly. All right, well, the person who told him, the so-called mechanic that told him that the catalytic, conver catalytic converter doesn't use oil. The catalytic converter just burns whatever is sent to it. So the thing basically is, is that it, the, that oil has to be coming from the engine to go into the catalytic converter. But there's a partial truth in that statement is because of the catalytic converter and the heat that the catalytic converter, that a catalytic converter for the chemical to reaction to start to work all right and take place it has to be about 900 a thousand degrees so a catalytic converter for all when everything is perfect is running down the road at about a thousand degrees for for argument's sake all right so the thing is that it could get hotter under certain conditions and maybe slightly cooler but if for all intents and purposes it's hovering around a thousand degrees and that's what they call light off temperature so when the chemical the conversion process starts or i shouldn't say the conversion process is the most efficient so when you're putting oil into 
into it at a, a thousand degrees of some vapor some fumes of oil from an engine that's burning it then then yes it is going to be uh, to be consumed by that now the fact of the matter is is that the catalytic converter on end from catalytic converters came out in 1975 depending upon how much oil is in the exhaust gas all right will depend upon if you if you have just a mist of oil the catalytic converter will will i always say evaporate consume it and give no signs of visible smoke or if you could i had a 75 chevy once a catalytic converter and smoke like a whore all right well the thing basically is is that there's two things that come into play there number one a 75 (laughs) i'm laughing at my own thing a 75 chevy maybe had a catalytic converter that wasn't as efficient once it got older all right which it probably did was a carbureted car so the fuel control wasn't that that tight but also the gasoline has changed a lot and the oil should and the oil has changed a lot so the composition of engine oil more importantly so yes a catalytic converter on a on a on an application will mask a good deal of oil going through the motor and keep that in mind on your combine on your farm tractor on your sprayer or what have you is that if it, and most tier four diesel engines also have a catalytic converter which is same thing has to function around a thousand degrees so that's gonna so the idea of you being a have seeing a crop duster like you say you know that thing burning oil lots of times you could smell the oil but you can't see visible smoke so at this particular point jim doesn't say anything about any smell all right so now without being a mechanical hypochondriac all right what i would basically now the other the the other important element here he says is that that this condition has gotten worse it started out that he'd have to add oil between the 4,000 mile changes then started to use a quarter about 1,300 miles and now it's just over 500 miles now let's stop there and look at it because this is very important uh, is that it's important in a sense is that this is not something that's that that's particular just the Cadillac all right it's a 2007 car so that means it's an obd2 car relatively tight emission standards on it and there's all the the emissions that the manufacturers look at as co carbon monoxide hydrocarbons unburned fuel uh, co2 oxygen and oxides of nitrogen all right nox and the thing is that over the years the standards have gotten stricter and stricter and stricter i don't know per se anymore when the last so is it 2022 stricter than a 2017 i don't think so all right but maybe a 2022 may be stricter in a certain sense than a 2007 but it'd probably be marginally stricter all right now the fact of the matter is is that what i think is happening with this cadillac all right since there's so many variables but keep it so you could take the same the same diagnostic protocols all right and apply them to a tractor a farm tractor a sprayer a combine an irrigation pump a lawnmower makes no difference all right what i think because yes can the rings be glazed i mean can the cylinder walls be glazed over can the rings be loaded with carbon and the rings are sticking it's pushing oil past it yes all right but what i think this cadillac has is a problem with the crankcase ventilation system and now years ago we would call that a pcv valve positive crankcase ventilation it still could be identified as a pcv i tend to think and i may be wrong because i can't remember every engine in creation but whereas years ago you had a very simplistic pcv that most newer engines have either a breather all right a closed breather all right or like my ranger has or they have this pcv type of module where it's 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 usually rectangular and may have wires to it and may have something else to it all right so a vacuum well it's gonna have a vacuum line and and a module and i would tend to think 
that the PCV module, PCV, the crankcase ventilation system is the best way for me to say it, on this Cadillac is, has failed in one way, shape, or form, and it's building crankcase pressure and or failed in an open state where the engine still runs fine, all right, but based upon what, what this gentleman said, still runs fine, but it's in an open state and is sucking oil out of the valley of wherever this PCV, whether it's the lifter valley, whether it's coming from the valve, I don't know, one of 3.6 V6 on a Cadillac 2000, where they're pulling it from. But I know that it's the same function. It doesn't know uh, what it's on, all right? The same function. So I tend to think that this Caddy has a PCV problem. Uh, let, let me, I said, I'm not using a crankcase ventilation problem. It could be like we don't know the use it had. It could be all carboned up. It could be stuck. It could be, it could have electric solenoid that operates it. I don't know. So before we become mechanical hypochondriacs, and say, well, the cylinder walls are glazed, the oil rings are stuck, this is that, that's happened, what have you. All right. The thing is that you would, you, would check that pcv system and look at that and take it apart you may find that the rubber hose on it is clogged with sludge you may find that so you have to go through the diagnostic procedures for that from a cadillac shop manual but i would first do a tactile and visual inspection if you look at oh my god this thing is all plugged up with carbon right then you don't need the shop manual for that you would clean the carbon out and go from there Right, so I personally think now the thing basically is is that historically when you have a building a lot of crankcase pressure, then the thing is that you would <clears throat> usually evoke leaks, usually. But that is usually, all right? The thing is that I personally think that this is building enough crankcase pressure uh, and maybe there may be an oil vapor separator in there. So the thing, these, these PCV systems, that's why I brought up about the emissions. When you put oil through an engine, you're going to raise the oxides of nitrogen emissions. It's going to be more prone to detonate. So that's why these PV, PCV systems, these crankcase breathers on both on gasoline engines and diesel engines don't detonate in that sense, are very, very complex. It wasn't like it was years ago where you had a road draft tube, all right? so the thing is that historically that you usually if the pressure gets too great it will usually release itself through an oil seal you have a rear main seal leak you have a valve cover leak you have a front seal leaking on the a timing cover right with a front crank seal because these are overhead gear motors so it's not really a timing cover so anyway but there could be a comedy of things just like you know if you listen to my show last week uh, my, my bones feel so much better because i'm not walking like an old man right now because i got thank god i got my eye fixed so so you can't say to yourself anything well that thing in the crank the rear main steel is leaking all right so the fact that the matter so the the, the the breather system is, is that's going to bite you every time all right so honestly i would tend to think that this cadillac and i believe that cadillac had a bulletin on the 3.7 liter 3.6 liter uh, especially if it was a stick shift where where you used the engine so it's if he had a stick shift in his cadillac and you say stick shift, yes some of those cadillacs did the performance ones <clears throat> and you'd be the type of person that you're coming through with traffic lights so you're going to use it you go from from fifth and put it in third and pull the engine very high rpm with the throttle closed lots of times they would they would they would suck oil and if you look at a lot of engines today the coyotes and the mustangs and camaros other engines when the people race them specifically road race them and create a very high vacuum they start to pull some oil past the they have a uh, the, the the crankcase ventilation system they put a, a separator some people put they put a catch can in there and that happens with a lot of engines you say well, i don't race this car i'll do this well because of the overdrive transmissions all right so the thing is that and the transmission ratios that you may get a lot of coast down vacuum the thing the high very vacuum that's going to pull the oil out of the crankcase ventilation system so if this were my Cadillac, based upon everything you told me and based upon what I do not know, 
I think it has a crankcase breather problem. I would not be surprised if that that PCV, I'll call it that again, I'll say it, assembly has is, is carboned up or sludged up or non-responsive or slow to respond or the hose has that feeds to it has has a lot of carbon in it or is starting to collapse all right you could have a collapsed hose that the hose is just collapsing or somebody worked on the motor and jammed the hose and i think it had it for quite some time and because it's always seemed to be you know four thousand miles that it needed extra oil he doesn't say how much extra it needed and all that is important excuse me because if you said well needed a, a pint of oil in four thousand i said needed three quarts of oil well that's a whole different story but i personally think that this engine has suffered from this problem yes oil consumption i think suffered from a crankcase breather problem for a long long time since we don't have any data about what it being new or what have you and i would go first i would go there first because honestly i'll tell you the truth if you bought a brand new engine from Cadillac, all right? And so you bought a whole, a brand new long block from Cadillac. And if, if I am correct, then that crankcase breather system is is uh, is clogged or failing, and you put it on a brand new engine, you would have over time have the same problem, all right? So that's, that's uh, so I would definitely, definitely, definitely look there. And, uh, and you know, and, and, you're gonna have to look and be a detective all right you can't just go and say like oh here's a nail on a tire oh there's a tire i'm pulling there get the tire fixed all right but i would say that that nine chances 9.5 chances out of 10 it's a breather 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 problem on this engine and due to the emission strategy and due to how they seal these engines up today what i mean piston ring seal and everything for emission strategies is that that i think it that, that that pcv is allowing it on coast down to really suck suck and whatever has happened to it right it happened to it right i mean whatever it maybe just got maybe it was had 96 percent flow before and now we got down to 95 percent, and it's, it's pulling oil and that's why i think that the oil that the oil uh that the oil usage is dramatically ramped up even though it's always user and there may be a baffle in there someplace you got to study that system i don't know there may be a baffle the baffle it's 16 years old maybe the baffle rotted away or rusted away or broke loose and there's no baffle there but i would definitely definitely look at that that breather system and then go from there and i will email this this person who reads me in the magazine and tell him to listen to this podcast so jim o uh let me know what you find you could email me at hot rod farmer you don't have to go through hemmings hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com and then the gentleman with the turbocharger on the uh the Valtra tractor i ask you to please keep me in the loop and let me know about that and i want to thank you so much for listening and i did go long but at least i didn't tell you a lot of other stories so you have a blessed blessed day and don't forget check out that msc for some glasses if you need good safety glasses with farm around them you don't need to go to the route i went take care have a blessed day and god bless america bye bye